0: where my handle is at Turkey Hitman, and I will be sure to follow you back. And now for this week's show. Hello, and welcome back to this week's episode of the Turkey Hunter Podcast. You are listening to episode number 146, Turkey Hunting Gun Modifications, Part 2, with Lawrence Polinski. And I am your host and one of the few people in the state of Alabama who is excited about 10 to 12 straight days of rain at some point during the day. Remember, I'm also the guy who recently laid four pallets of sod in the front yard, so I welcome the rain because I don't have to take time to water or spend the money to pay the Birmingham Waterworks to water my grass, which, by the way, is looking fantastic and starting to grow together. So I'm excited about that. The wife is excited about that. That's always a good thing. So today, we are 217 days, 15 hours, 59 minutes, and 58 seconds away from opening day of spring turkey season in Alabama. And I have a long show for you guys today. So the intro and outro for the show are going to be very quick. Remember several weeks ago, I did a show on turkey hunting shotgun modifications where I talked about porting a barrel of a gun. I also talked about back boring and lengthening the forcing cones in guns. And at the end of the show, after talking about those modifications, I gave you guys my opinion of whether or not I think those modifications are worth investing in. And I also told you that I would check around to see if I could get a gunsmith to come on the show and talk to us about those modifications and whether or not he or she felt like those modifications were worth investing in for the average turkey hunter. And that is what I have for us today. I have Lawrence Polinski with Polinski Arms on the phone today to talk to us about modifications to a turkey hunting shotgun and really any shotgun but we're specifically talking about whether or not these modifications may help a turkey hunter and because I have a long and very interesting interview for you guys we're going to go ahead and jump into the interview so here is Lawrence Polinski and I'll see you guys on the other side Hey everybody, I am glad to tell you that I have on the line with me today Lawrence Polinski with Polinski Arms, and we're going to talk about some fun stuff today. If you're a gun nut like I am, then this is going to be the show for you. We're going to talk about shotgun modifications for the turkey hunter. And, Lawrence, I am glad to have you on the line. I appreciate you taking time out of your busy schedule. I know we talked a couple of weeks, and you were on a road trip doing some work, and you do a good bit of that, and we'll get into that in a minute. But how are you, and where are you?
1: I'm doing fine. I'm in Cumberland,
0: Virginia. Okay. In Cumberland, Virginia. Tell me kind of where that is in the state.
1: It's roughly in the center of the state. It's 45 miles west of Richmond, out in the country.
0: Okay. All right, fantastic. That's a good place to be out in the
1: country. Yeah, we have a lot of a lot of deer, got a lot of turkeys yeah. and squirrels, rabbits and such. Fantastic. A bear every once in a
0: while. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a friend that lives north of you and he's just loaded with turkeys up there. So, I've been fortunate enough to go up there a couple of times and hunt with him and it's been productive and a fun trip. So, and you know, since he lives north of you, I'll I'll say this we like to call him the Yankee out of <laughs> out of my group of buddies, and it really irritates him. I mean, it just really irritates him, because if it didn't irritate him, we probably wouldn't call him that. Right, so, exactly. You know, we we like to pick on him a good bit, but he's, uh, he's a good guy and a good hunter. So tell us a little bit about yourself, how you got into gunsmithing, and tell us a little bit about your business and how we can get in touch with you as well.
1: Well, I guess I started around eight years old. I was shooting and hunting pretty young to start, but that's the way it was when I was a kid, Mm -hmm. and shot Junior Rifle, which is a uh, small bore indoor 50-foot range that was, we had rifles that were donated by the government that we used, shot high-power rifle and pistol, served in the service as a machinist, came out, got an associate's degree in mechanical engineering, didn't want to be a mechanical engineer, so I went to gunsmithing college, got an associate degree in gunsmithing and been gunsmithing since. Wow. Over thirty years gunsmithing, twenty over twenty eight years touring as a gunsmith with a I've got a forty foot mobile gunsmithing shop and the sixteen feet in the back is gunsmith shop and the balance of the trailer in the front is all R V. So uh traveled everywhere from Florida to Maine to Arizona, Colorado and still touring. And I do go to San Antonio every year for the month of October to attend two events down there and do on-site gunsmithing.
0: That is too cool so you you attend these competitive shoots and are there to do gunsmithing for those shooters. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. That is really neat and yeah you know, that's something that before you and I spoke the first time, I never even knew. I mean, I knew there were shooting competitions, that part of it I knew, but it makes perfectly good sense that these shooters are going to have malfunctions or want to make some sort of fine-tuning to their gun or something like that, and they need a gunsmith. So it's nice to have one on site, I would imagine.
1: Yes, I learned early on that I wanted to build my business as fast as possible. And so I realized that if I just sat in the shop and waited for people to come to my door, it was going to take a long time. So I decided to take myself to them rather than wait for them to come to me.
0: That is a smart
1: business plan. I like that. It's worked out very well.
0: Good deal. Well, I know that, and I didn't tell you this part, but you came highly recommended by... A couple of competitive shooters, and I just managed to get on a group on Facebook and started asking some questions for looking for a gunsmith. And your name was thrown out there, and so I said, Well, I've got to talk to Lawrence because he's from what I hear, it sounds like he probably knows what he's talking about. So that's that's how I stumbled across you. Oh, so, thank you. Yeah, now do you do any sort of custom chokes or anything like that for turkey hunting
1: or just no, I don't shooting? Yeah, well, I don't do any custom choke work. I do open chokes on fixed choke guns, and uh depends on if they're chrome-lined or not. If they're chrome-lined, it's a much more difficult process because you've got to get rid of the chrome before you can start cutting the steel. Mm-hmm. And I don't screw choke. I just have found in over 30 years of gunsmithing that if I don't do a job, and my customer wants it done, I seek out whoever is the best in the industry out there doing that job, and I'll send it to them or refer that customer to them. Even though I don't do the work, my name is still attached to it. So I want the customer to be more than satisfied with the end product whether I do it or someone else does it.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. Anytime we give a referral, we give away a little piece of ourselves. So Absolutely. that's, that's a, a great strategy there. So tell us how we can get in touch with you. If we have questions about any sort of modifications to any guns or if we want to actually have you do some work for us.
1: You can reach me via email, which is polenskifarms, F-A-R-M-S, at AOL.com. Um, just a real quick note as to why that came about is we bought, 23 years ago, we bought an old farm out in the country. And uh, there's a big sign in the front yard that stands 12 feet in the air. And we decided we wanted to put Polinsky arms on it. And, and I thought, I don't really need to advertise to everybody. I only need to advertise to the people who need to know what I do. So my wife came up with Polinsky F apostrophe Arms on the sign and uh if you're just going by quickly you just see it's Polinsky Farms but if you know what you're looking at you realize that this is where I have my gunsmithing operation that is very
0: clever
1: and uh oh, I like you, you that can a reach lot. Me. Yeah it does it works really well um you can reach me by cell phone area code 804 357 2393 Again, 804-357-2393. I have a Facebook page, Polinski Arms, LLC, and I've got a website, PolinskiArms.com. And that's P-Y-L-I-N-S-K-I is the Polinski. Fantastic.
0: Yeah, I have to do that all the time as well. Galliano throws a couple of people off, so. Yes, yes. Yeah. We get used to it after a few days when people say, how do you spell that? You just go ahead and start spelling it when you say it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Well, I love your wife's idea. That is just extremely clever. Yeah. All right. So one other thing about your business. I I know every good gunsmith has some lag time, some downtime. They've got a backup of work because there's always work to be done. People want their firearms touched by the best of the best. So just general work no no specialty work or anything like that. general work that someone would want done to a shotgun or something like that. What is roughly your turn time on that?
1: It really depends on several things as to what my turnaround is, and it really gets convoluted and complicated. a lot of it's <laughs> I'd say it, but a lot of its attitude customer comes in with an attitude that uh, it sometimes it it takes a little longer to do the job because. I have to get myself around and go, you know, it's let's just go ahead and get this job done, but typically it can run anywhere from when I'm at an event, it can run anywhere from 5 minutes turn around to overnight, which I have to do at events. So I've got to perform and make sure that this this shooter's gun is back online mm-hmm. by the morning or in the shop setting, sometimes it can go up to three, four, five months just depends on what the job is and what the shooter needs to have done and what their time frame is. And one thing I've found that shooters, they they make a big mistake in and they give you a gun and they say, here's my gun, this is what I need, I'm in no hurry. Yeah. What that does, it does two things. Number one, if they're not in a hurry, I'm not in a hurry because I've got several guns in front of it. That are, and typically when they say that, within an hour to maybe two days, they call me and ask me if I've gotten at it. Uh Oh, it's, then it kind of, is the dynamics of that job, what is their definition of in a hurry or not in a hurry? Right. But it can run anywhere from five minutes to five months, just depends on the job and what it entails to get it done.
0: Fantastic. Good deal. All right, let's talk about some of these modifications that shooters, but primarily hunters, and specifically turkey hunters, may want to make to their shotgun in order to enhance the shootability of the gun and also the pattern of the gun. So can you explain a little bit what porting a barrel is and the benefits of having a barrel ported?
1: Porting is a series of holes drilled either drilled or EDM'd in the barrel at the muzzle, just behind the choke at the muzzle. If you've got screw chokes, you have to, when they install the porting, they have to take that into account and put the porting behind the screw chokes Mm -hmm. rather than through them. Uh, and these holes, they allow the gas to escape upward as the wad is passing by the holes, therefore keeping the muzzle jump down allowing a quicker recovery for the second shot. Several guns I've worked on and have worked on in the past, the shooter is shooting the bottom barrel first in every instance, so therefore, and, and this is in an over-under uh, gun, uh, therefore they, re- they port the bottom barrel, relieving those gases, but the top barrel is not because once they've shot the bottom barrel, they got the quick recovery for the second shot of the top barrel, Right. And when the top barrel is fired, they're not they don't have a follow up shot, so it doesn't really matter mm-hmm. but or symmetry or just overall muzzle jump, a lot of times they will port the top barrel as well
0: okay, And now, go ahead
1: One other thing about that is though on the negative side, it does prove to be quite a bit louder once it's ported because those gases are escaping upward and a little bit backward and a lot of times if you're shooting with other people either in a blind or on a clay target course it ends up being louder for them as well and typically they're not overly impressed with the noise level of that gun and they could shy away from wanting to shoot with that particular shooter because of that
0: right yeah my dad had that done on a A large caliber rifle and was at the shooting range right after he had it done with one of his buddies and shot and blew the guy's hat off from the gas coming out. Yeah, if you're at the range with someone, you may want to kind of check their gun out before you get too close to them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You might want to move a couple stations down.
0: (laughs) Yes, indeed. So do you recommend just for turkey hunting, you know, and, and not everyone out there has a gun that they use specifically for turkey hunting. Not everyone listening to this show does, and and I do. I have one 12-gauge that I use specifically for turkeys, nothing else. So, in that situation, do you recommend porting a barrel for a turkey hunting shotgun?
1: I don't really see as it's going to be of any detriment. You know, if you're Typically, you're going to be out there by yourself, and with a semi-auto or a a over-under, either one. I would, I guess, I it's going to be personal preference more than anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would not condone it. I would, I would think if, especially if the shooter is getting slapped in the face pretty good every time he pulls the trigger, that keeps that muzzle jump down, keeps it from slapping him in the face and Hmm. allowing the second shot recovery so i would say it would be a a welcome addition to a turkey gun
0: okay all right now there like i said are people who are listening who have one shotgun that they use for multiple purposes whether that's home defense or hunting or uh, shooting whatever happens to be is that something you would recommend for them as well
1: i think that opens up another can of worms a little bit i'd you have to study it a little closer and decide exactly what you, everything you're going to do with this gun. If it's one gun does it all, look at what you're planning on doing with it. If you're going to use it for turkey hunting and home defense, then probably would be fine. You have to realize in a home defense situation, which of course hope you hopefully you never need that, but if you do need it, you're not going to have any hearing protection on, and it's going to be pretty loud. But at that juncture in time, that's probably the least of your worries is the the noise level of that shotgun. Very true. So I would say you have to weigh out all the aspects of what you're going to be using it for.
0: Yeah, and in a home defense situation, and again, you know, it's not like we're pray we're not doing that every day. The law enforcement probably stands a much better chance of doing that every day in a in a self defense situation, but for us average homeowners we would better not be doing that every day or we might want to look into moving but yeah. is there a concern at all over muzzle flash with a ported barrel more so than one that's not ported
1: i can't say as i i can really answer that i've never done any testing on a ported versus non-ported barrel in a let's say in a low light or no light situation okay i couldn't tell you i would think you're obviously going to get some muzzle flash coming back and up, which is going to affect your eyesight immediately and your view of the target. But with a shotgun, you don't have one projectile going out there; you've got several. So as long as you're close, you you should be pretty good to go.
0: Okay. All right. And porting a barrel is something that you do. Is that correct?
1: No, that's that's uh, one that's one of a couple different jobs I don't do. Then again, it goes back to, if I don't do it, I find the people who are the best in the industry to do that. And I've got a guy down in Alabama that I send my porting to.
0: All right. What does that typically
1: cost to have a gun ported? Just uh, It can run anywhere between everybody's got their own price structure and all that. So, in the area of 90 to $125 per barrel.
0: Okay. I want to move on to talking about one of the other mods that a lot of hunters and shooters make to their guns. But before I do, is there anything else about porting a barrel that you think is important that we may want to know before we make a decision to have that done?
1: One thing you might look at is saleability of that gun before you port it. If you are ever considering selling that gun, do you want to port it or not? Porting does affect the saleability of a gun because if you don't have the ports there, they can always be put there. But once they're there, you're never going to take them away unless you cut the barrel off, and that typically isn't an option. And this, this also goes into the price structure of what it costs to have it done. You want to find somebody that is very reputable doing that job. I advocate EDM having the porting done with an EDM machine, that's electron discharge machining, rather than drilling it with a drill bit. A drill bit's fine and all that, but the EDM gives a cleaner job. It's I really can't say it's more professional, but it's it's a higher end higher end job of the porting being done.
0: Sure. So
1: I would look at if I were gonna tell somebody to port a gun or recommend it it would be uh, definitely cut with EDM.
0: Okay. All right. And and you brought up a a very good point, and that's something that I've never really thought about, and that's sellability, because I actually was looking at a used shotgun. Gosh, it was about this time last year, I I, I wanted a little 20-gauge to take to the turkey woods with me and was going to just... Do some homemade mods to it, changing out the stock and, of course, the choke because the choke is coming from the coming out of the box is never what really we want as turkey hunters. So I was looking at a new gun, but I also was considering a used one at one of the local sporting goods stores, and they wanted a the store wanted a price that I felt like was too high for that gun, and I said, you know, it's a used gun. I can buy a brand new one for the same price, if not cheaper. And they and the salesman said, well, you know, this barrel is ported though. And I said, well, first of all, it's a 20 gauge. Second of all, it's gonna be a dedicated turkey hunting shotgun for the most part. And I don't really see a benefit in porting a turkey hunting shotgun. So for me, porting adds no benefit and it adds no, certainly is no reason for me to pay more for a gun especially a used gun than I can go and, and buy a brand new one for. So the fact that that gun's barrel was ported actually kept me from buying that gun because I did go and buy a brand new one and ended up catching it on sale and with a rebate and bought it $50 cheaper than they were going to sell me the used one for. Right. So that's something I hadn't thought about. That's a very good point.
1: Yeah, that, that porting held no value to you at that time.
0: That's exactly right, yeah.
1: All right, well, let's talk about something
0: that a lot of shotgunners are doing to their guns, and that's backboring. And tell us the process of backboring and also the benefits of having a gun backboard as well.
1: What backboring is, is making the diameter of the bore of the barrel inside larger, and you can either ream it out or hone it out as in the the material, has to be either reamed or honed out. And if you ream it out when you're all done, you've got to polish that. If you hone it out, well, you're polishing and honing all at the same time. By increasing the diameter of that bore, it reduces the friction on the wad as it's traveling up the barrel. Therefore, the gases that are propelling that wad up the bore have to work less at overcoming the friction and more at propelling the wad out the end of the barrel, therefore increasing the velocity and also the fact that the bore is larger, you get fewer deformed shot pellets, and the outcome of that is reduced recoil and improved pattern at the target.
0: All right, and again, kind of the same thing as what we talked about with hoarding a barrel. Do you recommend back-boring a turkey-hunting shotgun, a designated turkey-hunting shotgun?
1: I would. I would definitely look at that, especially some of the barrels from years ago. A lot of the manufacturers now are going to larger than standard bore, standard being 729,000. They're doing that because it seems to be the rage of the age, which I feel is a good move in everybody's direction. And the older barrels are really small diameter. I've seen them down around 721, 722 thousandths, which is a really tight bore. And it, the guns really, they recoil pretty drastically. So by improving or increasing the diameter of that bore, you're going to reduce your recoil and improve your pattern. So if you've got a, a bore diameter that is under standard dimensions, I would definitely look at doing that.
0: All right. So because some of the manufacturers of these guns are doing this in the factory when they're making these guns now, is that something that, that you would recommend primarily for an older gun? And for a, a buyer of a new gun to really do their homework, to know if the manufacturer of the gun that they're looking at is already making the the diameter of that bore larger than I can't say standard if the new standard is a higher or a larger bore, but you know where I'm going with that.
1: Yes. I'd look at the gun, and if you go to, I don't know how many gun shops have one of these. I've got a bore mic that I can go down inside the barrel and measure the inside diameter of that barrel, and it tells me what I'm looking at without actually looking at it and gives me that dimension inside and lets me know that, is this barrel backboard or is this barrel standard specs, which is 729 or is it under spec? And by getting that information, it would let me determine, help, help my customer determine, all right, do I want to go ahead and backboard this barrel to ultimately do what I want to do with it? Mm-hmm. So I would have to look at, I'd have to, it's one of those things you really have to, have to have the barrel in hand and measure it in. Give your customer the information they're looking for. Now, a lot of the newer guns are already backboard, so you can go to their websites, look at their current information, and they'll pretty much tell you what the bore is of these barrels before you even go and look at it if you're looking at a specific gun.
0: All right, and you said
1: 729
0: thousandths is the standard, so we're looking for some for a bore that has a larger diameter than that.
1: Yes, we're looking for something around 735, 740. I've seen them up to 745 come out of the factory. There's a company out there that I've done business with out of Omaha, Nebraska, and they advertise their barrels that they do modifications to as having 780 thousandths inside diameter, which is almost identical to the chamber. They're a big bore barrel. I don't know as so I would. I wouldn't go that high with a turkey shooting gun. I would definitely stay around the 740, 750 dimension if I were to tell a customer where they need to go with that barrel.
0: Okay. And is there a reason for that that you wouldn't go high? I mean, I, I assume it's like most other things in life, there is a point of diminishing return or, or benefit with
1: yes, that. Yes, uh, that's that's where I would I would say that. You've reached the point of diminishing returns because, after a point, your gases are going to start bleeding by the the wad rather than pushing it tight against the barrel to seal that pressure, and you're going to start losing velocity because of the bleed by that you're getting around that wad.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. And and
1: I don't. Know what that number is. I like to err on the side of caution, and I've found that 745, 750 is a pretty good it's a sound number to work with
0: okay is the type of ammunition and of course the type of wad is that going to also have an effect on how much if any gas is bleeding by
1: i cannot say from personal experience but it would make reasonable sense that yes depends on the skirt of the wad whether it will flex enough and push out against the the bore to seal it, or if it's too rigid and won't flex and let some of the gases bleed by. So I would say, yes, the ammunition would play into it.
0: Okay. And so that probably has a good deal to do with your recommendation of not going too large in that 780 range and backing it back down to that 745, 750 then. Is that correct? Yes. Fantastic. Okay. All right. So we've talked about back boring a, a gun that's specifically for for turkey hunting, but I'm going to guess your recommendation is going to be the same for a gun that's that we're using for multiple purposes as well. Then is that correct?
1: I would be more of an advocate of back boring for any shotgun than I would be for porting because you're not going to get an increased noise level. You're going to get increased performance. So. I would say, with that being said, that backboarding would fall into a little different category than the porting issue, as far as whether I would or wouldn't recommend it. I would say that would be something I would more recommend over top of the porting all right then
0: what typically does having a gun backboard cost
1: uh typically runs somewhere between a hundred and fifty and two hundred dollars per Barrel on an over-under, of course, that would be twice as much. You got two, I call it a barrel, it's got two different tubes. Uh, Maybe I should say for a bore.
0: Okay. And so for a little bit more money than what boarding would cost, we could have it backboard, and you feel like that's a a much better investment for us then?
1: That would be in, and we'll discuss this a little further on, of what what recommendations I would make in what order.
0: So then. Is there any negative to having a gun backboard?
1: The negative would be going too large a diameter. Okay. The other thing that would be negative, you want to look at who's doing the job. That's a particular job that is very specialized. And you get you get some people out there, they just run a reamer up through the bore, and they make it bigger, and they're done. Well, they haven't, they haven't really done the job. All they've done is started the job. It needs to be polished out when you're all done so that when you look up that bore, you cannot tell it's been backboard until you actually measure it. There's no machine marks. It's nice and smooth and clean and shiny. That again is not a job that I do because of the specialized machinery to do that. And then again, it goes back to, as I said before, if I don't do it, I find who's the best in the industry or somebody who is extremely good at doing that and refer or ship it to them.
0: That is very good information. And are there any other thoughts on back boring before we move on to the next mod that I want to talk about with you?
1: I can't think of anything right off hand that we haven't covered as far as the back boring goes. We've covered the pluses and the minuses, you know, you want to increase the bore diameter, but not increase it too
0: much. Okay. And, and a good point for really doing your homework on who's going to do that work before it's done. They Anyone listening to the show certainly does not want me doing it. So you want, <laughs> you want a good qualified gunsmith that's going to do the job right. And what Lawrence said is very important. Don't start the job and not finish it. And polishing those barrels, whether it's back boring or what we're about to talk about is is very important. So, let's talk a little bit about the process of lengthening the forcing cones and the benefits of having that done to a gun as well. So, can you explain that process and the benefits for us?
1: The forcing cone is the area immediately in front of the chamber that is the transition from the chamber to the bore that in the past has been reasonably well not more than reasonably has been very short probably about a three-eighths of an inch transition from the chamber to the bore and lengthening the forcing cones what that does is it takes that material out and it makes it a nice slow slower transition it's all in microseconds but it's a slower transition transition from the chamber to the bore and it's cut with a reamer or you can I guess some people can hone it out, but a reamer cuts it really quickly. Cut it with a fixed angled reamer. And when I first started cutting forcing cones, which that is a job I do, I started cutting them and we went from three eighths to an inch. And then we moved to an inch and a half. And that inch and a half is the length of that forcing cone now. Then we went to two and a half, four, all the way up to six inches and Mm. In that process, I found that in my own mind, the point of diminishing returns that I found for me was around two and a half inches. Anything more, it's taking more work to get it there, and you're not increasing the benefit enough to justify that work. But anything less, you still haven't quite got to that sweet spot, which I found is around two and a half inches.
0: Okay. That's that's very interesting. So, Correct me if I'm wrong, but a forcing cone is, for someone who can't imagine that, is basically like looking at the top end. If you were looking from the chamber towards the end or through the the bore, through the barrel of the gun, it would be like looking at the top end of a funnel down towards the narrow end of the funnel.
1: Correct. You would be looking at the opening of the funnel, and as it went down through, you would see the chamber. Then you'd see the forcing cone, and then you'd see the bore continually getting smaller as it went down the barrel until you reached the bore, and the bore should be the same dimension all the way down through. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then when you get the choke, of course, then we've got a forcing cone in the choke as well, but that's all built into the choke. Right, right. Okay.
0: So, do you recommend having forcing cones lengthened on hunting shotguns, and specifically turkey hunting shotguns?
1: I recommend it on any shotgun, and it's not because I do the job. It's because I see the benefits of it. Because you're going to get less shot deformation, you're going to get reduced felt recoil, your pattern at the target's going to be improved. So, no matter what that shotgun is, all three of those things are going to lend toward better performance, and in the in the in the long run, it's going to be a more pleasant experience. So. I personally don't own a shotgun. That I don't do that too.
0: All right. So then, with that being the case, you're going to recommend that for any gun, whether it's a multi-purpose gun for us or a dedicated turkey gun or duck gun or something like that, you're you're recommending lengthening those those forcing cones no matter what. Then.
1: Yes. Now, if they if they've already been lengthened by the factory, then and I and I measure that and I determine. Alright, this is what the factory has cut them to. Are you going to get any benefits from this? If I lengthen it another quarter of an inch, no. Uh, if I lengthen it another half inch, no. If I lengthen it another inch, then you're, you're going to start to see some difference. You may not, it may not be totally evident or felt, but you have to, the customer, I, I let them know where they are and where we're going to go and let them make the decision, do you want to invest this money to get this much more performance out of this gun? And if it's lengthening it a half inch, I say no, you save your money and put it put it in bullets. Right. Yeah, I lose a job, but it that's not the important part to me. The important part is giving the customer the best value for their money and if I were standing where they are, I would want somebody to tell me that.
0: Right. Okay. What is the typical cost of having forcing cones lengthened in a gun?
1: Forcing cones uh run typically 85 to 125 depending on who's doing the work, the shop doing the work, and sometimes you can get it done cheaper, but you're also I've found in my life a lot of times you get what you pay for. They mm-hmm. cut the forcing cone and they hand it to you and you're off and running. They've only done half the job, as in back boring. If they just cut it with a reamer and don't polish it, they haven't done the job. They've only started it. So when you get your forcing cones cut, typically on the higher end of the spectrum, you're getting a better job because they've taken the time to go ahead and cut it and then polish it, and you end up with a much better job. Okay. And that
0: polish work done, whether it's back boring or lengthening forcing cones is extremely important. That's, correct me if I'm wrong, but isn't that taking out the machine marks and bringing bringing that part of the bore or the cone that's being worked on back to basically factory specs as far as what you're looking at with the rest of the internal working parts of that gun? They've all been polished before they've ever left the factory.
1: Yes. What you're doing is you're taking out those machine marks and when it's all done, all you want to see is transitions. You don't want to see rough machine marks, reamer marks, gouges, or anything like that. You want to, hopefully you're looking up through and you see a nice polished chamber, you see a nice polished forcing cone, and then you see a nice polished bore all the way up through to the end of the muzzle. So basically, yeah. if it goes back to friction again. If you leave those reamer marks on that, you may have reduced friction, but it, as the wad is going across it, it's, it's like little planar blades that are shaving off pieces of the wad as it goes by, mm-hmm. depositing it in those voids left from the reamer. And, it it makes it difficult to keep that area clean and polished or clean once you get done shooting you want to go ahead and clean your bore to get all that debris out of there the unburnt powder which will bring in moisture which brings in salt which will rust and pit your barrel
0: right and i think you said it when we talked about back boring and that is that you that we when we have this work done want to be able to look down the barrel or really any any part of that gun from the chamber on and not know that there's been work done to it without measuring it so,
1: yes and that that is the case as well with forcing cones other than the fact if you know that that particular gun from the factory would not have had the forcing cone lengthened and you look in there and it is that's the only way that i that you should be able to tell that it's been lengthened, is the knowledge that that gun was not produced with a long forcing cone from the factory. It should look like it came from the factory, but other than that, you should not be able to tell.
0: Okay. And you touched on this a little bit before, and actually we're touching on it now, so let's dive in just a little bit more on it. A lot of manufacturers are lengthening forcing cones in their guns already that they have figured out over the years that it's a modification that a lot of hunters and shooters are making to their guns. And there's a reason for that. But there are a lot of gunsmiths out there that that say that the manufacturers don't lengthen those forcing cones enough still. And you talked about that a little bit already, but is there a time when manufacturers started producing guns with longer forcing cones that maybe we could look at and say, okay, well, I've got a gun that's pre-whatever date, and maybe that gun needs some work done to the forcing cones on it? Or is it just going to be one of those deals of, hey, I need to take this and get it measured?
1: Yes, it's going to be more... Knowing the vintage of the gun and where that manufacturer was in that process of do we do it or do we not do it. They, I think they started somewhere in the early 90s with starting to lengthening forcing cones from the factory and some of the, some of the factories were really quick to catch on and they brought that right along with their manufacturing process because it it takes tooling. It, manufacturing mm-hmm. a gun takes tooling, no matter how you look at it. Mm-hmm. And all the tooling in some aspects is pretty specialized. And to lengthen the forcing cone in the barrel, you have to have a specific ramer cut at a specific angle to cut that forcing cone. And then they come through behind it and polish. Well, that tooling is expensive. So Browning, I'm going to say, was late coming to the table with forcing cones. I think it, all of it had to do with the fact that the tooling was expensive and they already had the tooling in house and it's working. So they just kept on building their barrels with standard forcing cones. Once they started lengthening forcing cones, they pretty much jumped straight to the, you know, head of the class as far as they went all the way with that, that angle. So that there's no need to do any more work to their forcing cones. There are some other uh, manufacturers out there that they don't lengthen them quite as far as I do. So I tell the customer, right, this is what we're going to get if I lengthen it versus what's in there. So, but Brownings, we don't have to do that with now. However, up until, and I really can't give you the, the time, timeline there. It's 2005-ish. I think it was, somewhere around that neighborhood, maybe 2007. Could have been back as far as 2000, 2003, but they started lengthening their forcing cones. And up to that point in time, if you sent a Browning gun into them for service work and the forcing cones were lengthened, they would opt to decline work on that gun because it's been modified. Okay. As soon as they started lengthening forcing cones, It took away some of my work because now these jobs that I was getting into LinkedIn Forcing Cones, they're already LinkedIn. But as I said previously, that's not the important part to me. The important part is, is the customer getting what they're wanting? And that's the ultimate goal of my shop as well as it should be with any shop is give the customer what they want if it's safe and if it's within reason.
0: Sure. Okay. Have you done any before and after testing on lengthening forcing cones to be able to say, I've seen it increase the the tightness of the pattern by X percent? And I know that's a, a, a very tough thing to answer because every shot coming out of the same shotgun is different because of different conditions but it, it's relatively close it's close enough for government
1: work <laughs> right funny you should say that i have always wanted to do that i have not done that and i've always said that i'm going to get a barrel and i'm going to take it out and pattern it and then lengthen the forcing cone an inch and then lengthen it two inches and then three inches go all the way up to six inches using the same exact shot or the same exact uh, cartridge so that it gives me proof of where I started versus where I ended up. Right. And no, I have not. I don't know if anybody has, and if they have, I'm not aware of the information. But the World Wide Web, of course, is a, it can be a wonderful thing and it can be a bane. But Very true. I think that... If 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 somebody has done that, it's probably out there.
0: Right. Okay. All right. So you found though in your experience that that two and a half inch length is is about the money spot. So you're not doing too much, and and definitely definitely not doing too little because there is a point to where you're you're doing more work and not gaining any benefit from it. So
1: yeah, but okay. there, there's one more thing that does play into that two and a half inch number is. With the smaller the diameter of the bore, the longer that two and a half inches gets, if you will. And if the bore diameter is larger, it ends up being shorter. So with, you know, with your bore being somewhere around 730, 735, you're going to end up with a two and a half inch forcing cone. If it's smaller diameter bore, it's going to be longer. If it's a larger diameter bore, it's going to be shorter. But that angle, it's a fixed angle on the reamer, so no matter what the bore is doing, you're still getting the same angle. The length of that angle might be longer or shorter, depending on the bore.
0: I got you. Okay. All right. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Okay. So then, is there any downside to lengthening forcing cones? Any minus to it at all?
1: Uh, there's none I'm aware of. Okay. And there, somebody may be out there to prove me different, but to my knowledge, in the thousands of forcing cones that I've cut, I'm not aware of any downside at all.
0: Okay. Other than, again, making sure the right person does the job. Correct. All right. Now for the million-dollar question. Of those three modifications that we've talked about today that we could make to a turkey-hunting shotgun, if you only had the money to do one of those, which of those modifications do you think is worth the expense?
1: I always start at the forcing cone and work my way up the barrel. I think that, and it's then again, it's not because I do the job. It's because I see the outcome at the end. That's the least amount of money spent and the quickest turnaround and the the most benefit immediately. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then I would uh, the next item I would move to would be the back bore and then the last item I would go to would be the porting. Now if you've got a factory gun that's had the the forcing cone is already lengthened, the bore is already back bored, well then that tells you exactly where if you're going to spend any money, where you're going to go, you're going to spend it on porting.
0: Right. Okay. If we were going to spend the same amount of money on our gun as Let's say we have a gun that's not been that the forcing cones have not been lengthened on. We were going to spend that same amount of money on doing something to that gun, whether it's lengthening forcing cones or doing X. Is there something else that you think that our money would be better spent on that could improve our accuracy and or pattern from that same gun instead of making that modification? Does that question make um,
1: sense? I don't know. I'm not really sure. I would say. I got a list of things that I would definitely recommend that a person do and maybe not necessarily in the order that I would list them or I have them listed, but probably I don't know about pattern at the target or recoil or anything like that other than too few shooters take the time to perform maintenance on their guns. Their, their shotgun is no different than their automobile. It needs to have its oil changed periodically and In a hunting shotgun, I have found that a hunting shotgun wears out from the outside in and a clay target shotgun wears out from the inside out. And what I mean by that is a hunting shotgun doesn't get shot a lot, but it looks like it's been beat to hell because it's been carried (laughs) through the woods and brushes and briars and all that stuff that rubs against it, where a clay target shotgun can look brand spanking new in the rack. But it's got a 100,000 rounds through it because they shoot so many rounds in such a short period of time. Mm-hmm. So maintenance, there are three things that that are extremely important to gun ownership, and that's maintenance, maintenance, and maintenance. Don't wait till the beginning of the season and say, oh, my gosh, my gun's broke. I need to get it to the gunsmith, get it fixed so I can go hunting tomorrow. Not going to happen because 50,000 other people are thinking the same thing. And then now we're inundated with work that everybody wants tomorrow, but it's just not going to be able to be done. So as soon as you recognize a problem, then it needs to be addressed. And be cognizant that the gunsmith is going to do his best to get it to you in, in a short period of time. But he's got several other people in front of you that he's got to satisfy as well.
0: Very true and a good point doing that last minute is never a good thing. So if you've got work that needs to be done to your turkey hunting shotgun, don't forget that fall season is just around the corner for the majority of the country. And now is probably a good time to pull that gun out of the safe and make some phone calls and get it to the right person to get the job done. And I have a feeling Lawrence can tell you who that right person is if he's not the one. So and from talking to him, and I've talked to him a couple of times now, he's going to shoot you straight if it's work he doesn't do he's going to point you in the right direction on it so you know i I think you guys if you have something that needs to be done give lawrence a call and chat with him about that so before i ask you for any parting comments or thoughts do you think that for the average turkey hunter out there who i mean even even if we don't go with the average hunter if we go with the avid die-hard turkey hunter who, if they don't shoot like I shoot, is shooting their shotgun 10 times a year and killing 10 turkeys, and that's an awful lot of turkeys. Do you think that we would be better off spending, buying a gun from the manufacturer and spending the money that we would spend on any of the modifications that we talked about today, or do you think we'd be better off taking that same money and investing it in chokes and ammo to to try to find our best
1: pattern there. Boy, that's a a loaded question. One thing I would definitely look at, if if you've got a current shotgun that you're using, is a lot of people look beyond this, and they don't even think about it. Is gun fit? Does that gun fit you? You wouldn't buy shoes that don't fit. So everybody will typically everybody will buy a gun and never think about whether it fits them or not. They just buy a gun. You're right. So I look at gun fit as being extremely important because your eye is the rear rear sight of that gun, and if you're not looking down that barrel correctly, if you're high, low, left, or right, looking down that barrel, it's not going to point where you are wanting to, or it's not going to shoot where you're wanting it to shoot. So Uh, gun fit would be important, but it all depends on where that gun lies and ultimately what you want to do with it. Does it need a lot of work and it's gonna, the cost is gonna be more than the value of the gun or does that gun hold some value to you, sentimental value or the fact that it's your first shotgun and, or you shoot extremely well. So there's, there's a number of things there that come in, but of course chokes, and a turkey gun are going to be extremely important because of it's a specialized gun, and you're wanting it to perform to a level. And if it's not performing to that level, then you need to do something to make it perform. And if it means chokes or finding a different load that will perform, then that's that's going to be money well spent.
0: Right. Okay. And, I, and I'm not asking that to, to try to talk anyone out of sending work your way because you know there there are definitely benefits for having the mods done that we talked about today, and it it is a matter for most of us that we have a, a set amount of money to spend on this hobby that we have. For me, it's an obsession, and I don't really obviously I think about money because I have to but you know, I'm I'm more apt to spend money on an obsession than I am a hobby. And I also don't have four young kids running around the house that need shoes and shirts either. So, you know, that that makes a big difference. So, you know, they're they for the average hunter, even picking up a five a percent or ten percent tighter pattern and more pellets downrange may not be a big difference or big enough to justify the expense, but for a diehard hunter, if that means that there's an opportunity to take a turkey at 55 yards instead of 50 yards, then yes, that that makes a big difference and would be worth the expense, and so it's so hard to say what's best until you have all of these things done, and then you look at the gun and shoot it after. You've had all of these modifications done and compare it to the before pattern and say, okay, yes, I've got the best shooting gun out there, but the turkey ultimately is making that decision for us when, when he flops, when we shoot, and that's really all that we're looking for. So I, I know that was kind of a loaded question, but I'll, I'll tell you briefly why I had to ask. So I actually did a show on modifications before you and I have done this show, and I am no gunsmith, and that is the number one reason why I wanted you on the show, is because you know so much more about these modifications than I will ever know about them. And that's really what I wanted to present to the listeners today, because they've got my opinion, but it is my opinion. There's nothing to back that up. You've got years of experience in dealing with these modifications, and your experience with it is better than my opinion. So at the end of the show that I did on these modifications, my opinion was that the average hunter is probably better off spending money on two or three different chokes and two or three boxes of ammo, different types of ammo, and cycling those through their gun at the range to determine which of those is going to come up with the best pattern at 40 or 50 or keep your fingers crossed, even 60 yards and go from there. And so that, that's why I asked that question. And I do know it was a loaded question because there are so many different factors that come into play with that. And you really hit the nail on the head. And it's the first thing that we need to look at with any gun that we're shooting. But there are so many factors that come into play as to how well a gun shoots. And it's not always the gun. It's a lot of times us, but the number one thing we need to look at is does the gun fit you and i think so many people don't consider that they go and pick a gun up off the rack at the gun store or sporting goods store and they say i want to buy this and if that gun does not fit it doesn't matter how well the gun shoots we're not going to shoot it well so
1: correct yes yeah
0: there there's so much that goes into this and and you know i think for a competitive shooter a competitive shooter is probably going to listen to this show and go, oh wait, they left this out. They didn't even talk about this, and they got to consider this. And but that's not what we're looking at. We're looking at, you know, how is this going to fit? How is this going to work for the average shooter and average hunter? Really, is right. is what most of us are. So, so I apologize for the loaded question, but I think you answered it perfectly. And. I want to know if you have any parting thoughts or comments at this point, especially with me unloading all that on you. Just a minute ago, you may say, well, you said something that I don't agree with or that I think is spot on. So any any parting thoughts or comments you have about any of this that we've talked about today?
1: I think that another thing that goes along with the last question you asked is, and I see this in the competition market where I base most most of my time is you spend all that money for that gun. You spend all that money for the chokes, the two, the uh, ammo, the taking time off from work, possibly vacation time, or you're stealing time from something that you really ought to be doing, but you really need to do this for you. Mm-hmm. And you get out there, and you have no idea how this gun is going to perform. It's, it's, pardon the pun, just a shot in the dark. You're hoping that this gun is going to do what you want it to do. You need to do your homework prior to getting out in the field. Make sure that this gun is everything you think it is and it's shooting exactly where you're looking and it's going to do what you want it to do when that turkey shows up or, in my case, when that clay target comes out of the house. You want that gun to perform for you as you anticipate. And if it doesn't, it's not the gun, it's you. Maybe you didn't mount it correctly or you didn't swing through or you, uh, jerked the trigger at the last instant mm-hmm. or the turkey moved. It, that, that's not on you, but that's, you want to take all the variables out of it before you get there.
0: Very true. Lawrence, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you taking time out. I, I know you're busy. You've just gotten back from New York and doing a bunch of work up there, and you've got a bunch of work there waiting on you at home to take care of, and you've taken over an hour to chat with us about this, and I just am extremely appreciative of that. I'm extremely appreciative of you sharing your knowledge of all of these modifications that we've talked about today, and I just, you know, any of you guys that – Are thinking you want to have any kind of mods done, or you want a professional's opinion on this for your specific gun, I highly recommend calling and talking to Lawrence. And, you know, that's worst case is calling and talking to him. I highly recommend sending some work his way as well if you guys have anything that you need done. Just a super guy, top notch, and I think you can hear that in the interview today. So, thank you very much, Lawrence, and I'd love to maybe at some point in time we have a conversation about how to pick the right gun and we talk about this fit and other things that we need to look at when we go to buy a shotgun is that Absolutely. something you might want to jump in and do sure all right fantastic well thank you very much i'm going to let you get on with your day and uh, again i just i can't tell you how much i appreciate it this has been a very fun show for me because i am a self proclaimed gun nut and You know way more about it than I do, and it's always fun to learn about guns or hunting when when I'm asking questions that I don't know the answers to, so I always get excited about hearing them, but thank you again. Have a great day, and I look forward to talking to you again sometime real soon. Okay. Thank you, Andy. Thank you, Lawrence. Goodbye. Bye. Okay. I really enjoyed that interview with Lawrence. I hope you guys did as well. It really is amazing to me how so many of us just pick up a product like a firearm, but today we're specifically talking firearms. So how we just pick up a firearm and take it out for a day on the range or a day in the woods and don't even give a second's thought to the engineering, the design, and the exacting manufacturing processes that went into making a tool that performs perfectly for us, pretty much doing exactly what it's supposed to do every time we take it out of the house. And I'm hopeful that today's show kind of opened up our eyes a little bit and will help us appreciate even more the opportunities that we get to go outside and hunt or shoot. And I'm more hopeful that today's show has given you guys some good professional expert insight into turkey hunting shotgun modifications that you may want to make to your shotgun. And remember that today is the day to send that gun off for repairs or mods, not the week before fall or spring season starts. So if you're going to send it off and have some mods made or repairs made to your gun, start making some phone calls. Now's the time and get that gun shipped off. Okay, so That's all that I've got for you guys today, but you know I've got a favor I need to ask of you. If you would, please like, share, and retweet the link to this week's show on social media. That is a huge help to the show and to me, and I thank you guys for taking time to give back to the show that gives to you guys each and every week. Thank you guys so much for tuning in this week. I know that you have choices. I appreciate you spending your time with us. I hope you have a wonderful week and I look forward to seeing you again next week. Goodbye. Thanks for tuning in. You were just listening to the Turkey Hunter podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please go on over to iTunes and leave a five-star review and make sure to head over to www.iamturkeyhunting.com